0: Father, we thank you, Lord, for just so thankful how amazing you are and how you love us and how we are so blessed, so blessed to come together and to seek you, Lord, and to worship you. I thank you for the, for the wonderful, pure time of worship. I thank you for these youngsters up here, Lord, who are giving their talents to you. Bless them, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, this morning that you would speak to our hearts as we continue in this series, this wonderful book, Proverbs, a book of wisdom. We thank you so much, Father. And Lord, I decrease that you would increase unto myself of myself, so fill me with yourself. Everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. Praise in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. If you have your Bibles, Bible app, turn to Proverbs chapter 27. We're now in part 28 of our series, Wisdom That Works. Say, Wisdom That Works. Again, Proverbs chapter 27. And before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from chapter 26. And I gave you four points. You you might remember those points. And point number one of chapter 26 was facts on the fool. Say that. That's in verses 1 through 12. And Solomon tells us that putting a fool in the place of honor just isn't right. And then he goes on to say that a curse will not reach its destination. It has no effect. And he says, what fools won't learn from the words of wisdom, they must learn through the infliction of pain. Then Solomon says, don't answer fools in the same way they foolishly handle their ideas, or you will be just like them. But he says, but answer them so that they will learn to abandon their foolish ideas. And then Solomon says, as legs to the cripple are useless, wisdom is to the fool is also useless. Then he says a fool could have his heart pierced with wisdom and never fill it. Then he says a person in worse danger than the fool is the proud person. The second point was the nature of the sluggard. Say that. And that's the verses 13 through 16. And Solomon shows us the lack of energy and the excuses and the idleness of the sluggard. The third point was mind your own business. Say that. That's the verses 17 through 19 and uh, Solomon says, if you interfere with the, in another person's quarrel, you're looking for trouble, right? And he says, so don't get upset when you get hurt. And the fourth point was gossip generates grief. Say that. Gossip generates grief, verses 28 through 28. And Solomon simply points out the danger of gossip, lying, and flattery. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is sharpening one another. Everyone say that. Sharpening one another. Five points if you're ready to say yes. Number one is this, don't boast or brag. Write that down. Say that, don't boast or brag. let's, Let's see what Solomon writes here, verse one. He says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. And so friends, this is a warning against living as if you're in control of your own destiny. And what it is, friends, this is actually the sin of presumption. What it does, it reveals lack of submission to God. And I want you to write this down, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. And I'm going to read it to you, which is like the New Testament book of Proverbs. And it echoes the very words, James echoes the very words of Solomon. And he says this in James 4, 13 through 15. James says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life, James says. And he says this, you are I mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes, vanishes. Then 15 says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, say, if it is the Lord's will, say that. We will live and do this or that. And you see, the people that James is writing to, these people were displaying a confident assurance that they had control of their lives. And they marked out their course without any thought to things not going as they planned. And listen, rather than, rather than overconfidence, they, they should approach the future with a sense of humility. Now, it's not what they did was wrong. And I want you to get that. It's not what they did was wrong. It's what they didn't do. And so I want you to follow me here going back to James. They had the when, today or tomorrow, the where, this is this or that, city, the how, Spend the year, the what, do business, the why, to make money. But they forgot the who. And they left out the most important factor in their planning, and that was God. Say God. They forgot to include God. There, there's not a single mention of God there in James. So you ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. Deo volente. Say that. Two Latin words, deo meaning God, we know that. Volente meaning willing. That means God willing. Say God willing. And in the New Testament, some Christians, as they would write letters, would end their letters with the initials DV, which stands for Deo Volente. And they would even end their conversations uh, with that as well. They would say, I'll see you tomorrow, Deo Volente. Uh, we plan on doing this or that or going here or going there, Deo Volente. Now, Now, I don't believe that James is, is expecting us or telling us to tack on at the end of every sentence of our sentences if it's the Lord's will. I believe what he's doing, what he's doing, he's giving us a mindset, say mindset, that should permeate our lives. And yes, yes, true. Uh, at times we should say, if it's the Lord's will, but if, if we don't, but if we don't say it, we should think it. Got it? We should think it. It's a mindset. That mindset, what it does, it positions us to live with a dependence on God and his sovereign will for our lives. Got it? Now let me tell you something. Let me tell you what Solomon and James is not saying. They are not saying that we shouldn't plan. Okay? They're not saying that. They're not saying, hey, throw out your calendars. We should plan. Say we should plan. And we see this in the book of Proverbs. And we see this throughout Scripture that we should plan, right? Follow me. It's not that we shouldn't have plans. It's that those plans shouldn't have us. Got it? In other words, we, sh- we need to hold on loosely to our plans. Yeah, make your plans. Go ahead. But hold on loosely to your plans. Now, some of you guys know my story. I never wanted to be a pastor. Never desired to be a pastor. I was uh, doing some traveling with the band The Cry. I was the, the, the leader, the guitar player, and the songwriter for the band The Cry. We were traveling, doing a lot of traveling. I never had a desire to be a pastor. All I wanted to do was go from city to city, church to church, right? And sing, uh, play, and give an invitation, a short sermon invitation. And that's not, I wanted to be an evangelist, okay? Because all you need is seven good sermons and a fast bus, right? Okay. But I never wanted to be a pastor. That, that's not what I wanted to be. I, I wanted to be an evangelist. And uh, God had other plans. And my mom would always tell me, "No, no, you're going to be a pastor." And she always told me all that time, all, all, all the time, "You're going to be a pastor." And sure enough, she had her way, and so did God. Amen. <laughs> chapter 19, chapter 19 of Proverbs, verse 21 says, "Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails." In other words, our plans ought to always be subjected to God's will." Verse two. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, someone else and not your own lips. Follow me, follow me here. The previous verse that we just read is about boasting for what you're gonna do, right? This verse is about bragging or praising yourself for what you've already done. And I wanna tell you, friends, don't praise yourself. Don't blow or toot your your own horn. Don't call attention to yourself. Stay away from self-promotion. Got it? And social media, come on now, Social media is filled with self-promotion. Folks promoting themselves. Look at me. This is what I've done. All about them. Let others brag about you. Amen? Verse 3. Stone is heavy and sand a burden, but provocation, in other words, action or speech or wrath by a fool is heavier than both. And so this poetically saying that it's hard to put up with, with the fool's provoking behavior which is heavier than stone and, and heavier than sand. In other words, it's emotionally exhausting to put up with this kind of fool. So, so don't boast or brag, say that. Number two is more dangerous than anger. Write that down, say that. More dangerous than anger. And we're gonna look at verse four and see what Solomon writes there. He says, anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Now, both anger anger, And wrath usually end at some point. However, jealousy doesn't rest. And that's Solomon's point. Jealousy doesn't rest. Now, while jealousy doesn't burn as hot or as violently as anger, as rage, a jealous feeling can persist until it leads to an act of revenge. And and what comes to mind, as I was doing my study, what comes to mind is King Saul and David. And Saul, right, became jealous of David when the Israelite women... Right, saying David's praises, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his what? Ten thousands. And Saul hated David from that day on and and not long after hearing the women praise David, Saul tried to kill him. Point number three. Here we go. The best friend. Say that. The best friend. Don't brag or boast. More dangerous than anger. Number three, the best friend. Look at verses five through nine with me. Better is open rebuke. In other words, that word is correction than hidden love. And I want to stop there. I'll just read that again. Better is open rebuke, correction, than hidden love. I'll stop there because honest criticism, speaking to someone honestly, lovingly, can bring them back on the right track. Right? Keeping them from danger or disaster. It's more valuable than a love that's afraid to bring a word of correction. Now, listen, a love that doesn't encourage a person to godliness is morally useless. That being said, this is one of the great sins of the church today, and it's this, tolerating sin in the name of love. You guys with me? And sadly, there are churches out there today who will not confront sin and will not correct, lovingly correct those who are living, practicing sin. Verse six, wounds from a friend, can be trusted. You get that? Say that. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. A best friend, a true friend, is one who will tell you the truth. Who has this, I love this, who has the spiritual guts to correct you, to be honest with you, to, to wound you with loving correction. And friends, we all need a friend like that. Every one of us, we need a friend like that. And if you don't have one, find one. I need a friend. We all need a friend that's going to be honest with us, lovingly honest with us. Amen? And they see us, you know, kind of doing this or that. They say, hey, 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 stop it. Stop it. Because they love us. And I want to tell you, love which refuses to correct is a friend. Love which refuses to correct a friend is of no value. It means nothing. Then he says this, but an enemy, what? Multiplies kisses. And what comes to mind is who? Judas. Right? His his kiss was what? Deceptive. You see, an enemy will kiss you. An enemy will kiss up to you and deceive you. Verse 7, he who is full loaves honey, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. In other words, when, when one is full, even tasty foods is unappealing. And when one is starving, even unpleasant food seems enjoyable. That's what Solomon's saying. And the proverb is intended to highlight the different attitudes of wealthy of wealthy and impoverished people. And the bottom line is this, be thankful for what we have. Amen? Should we be thankful for what we have? Verse 8, like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Home represents, get this now, home represents security. Got that? It represents security. And what Solomon does, Solomon warns that a bird wandering from its nest, what it does, it trades security for insecurity. And it becomes vulnerable to danger, to hunger, and isolation. So to a man who strays from home, faces insecurity, danger, hunger, and isolation. What comes to mind? The prodigal son. And we know that story, right? We know that story very well. Verse 9, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. What Solomon's saying is as pleasant and delightful as the aroma of perfume, so is a friend, say friend, come on, who speaks hearty words, spiritual truth, godly counsel, a word fitly spoken into your life. That's a true friend. That's a best friend, right? That's an honest friend, a friend who who loves you, right? Who loves you, who speaks truth in your life. It's like a sweet aroma. Verse 10, do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father, and do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. This is talking about what to do in difficult times. Now, this is insane. Psalm's not saying that we abandon our family in difficult times. Rather, if our family is far away, very far away, just go to your friend who lives closer. That's all he's saying. Amen? So here's the lesson. Maintain friendships. I mean, how important is that? Right? Maintain friendships. Don't just make friends. Maintain those friendships. Right? Take care of your friends so that when hard times Come your way, friends. You can rely on those friends to be there for you, to stand with you, to help you, right? We'll be there for you in your time of need. Verse 11, be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart, then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. So apparently, apparently Solomon had people that had reproached him, and basically his son will either, what, publicly disgrace him or enable him to stand proudly before his enemies. Now listen, just as a child's actions influence a child's actions influence their parents' reputation whether that's fair or not friends, the same is true of us Christians and the reputation of Jesus. What we do reflects our heavenly Father. Got it? So let's make our Father proud. Right? Let's not shame our Father. In fact, Matthew chapter 5 or 16 exhorts believers what? Here we go. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That you and I would live in a way that we would give, give and bring glory to God in heaven. Amen? And that we as children would live in a way that would bring glory and honor to our parents. Verses 12 through 14. The prudent see danger and take refuge. So the prudent, this is the prudent, the wise. What he's saying the prudent, the wise, see the evil that's headed their way. And what they're doing, they're watching carefully. And what they do is they produce these, these prudent people, these wise people, they produce an ability to see what sin does and avoid it. I love that. But the simple, say simple, speaking of the naive and the untrained in wisdom, keep going and suffer for it. Because they lack wisdom, they, they're blind to the danger around them. Therefore, they will suffer the consequences for it. Verse 13. 13. Take the garment of one who puts up security for a stranger. Hold it in pledge if he does it for a wayward woman. In other words, if you're going, this is now, to be involved in loaning money, and that person is doing stupid stuff with that money, in other words, getting involved with a strange woman, You better get some collateral. Got it? Verse 14. If man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Not every person is a morning person. Got it? Some people don't like to be awakened in the morning, let alone with some person speaking loudly, even if it's a blessing. It's more like a curse because you woke them up. Right? Here's a lesson, ready? Here's a lesson, timing and tact. Timing and tact. There's a place for tact and being polite, right? And we need to be sensitive to the person's situation. Listen, friends, listen now. There's nothing wrong with a loud blessing, greeting, but be aware of the situation. Be aware of who the person is, right? Be aware of the person you're speaking to. Be sensitive, because timing is everything. Hey, how you doing? God bless you. Dude, I wasn't sleeping, man. You know? Verse 15 through 18. Verse 15, she's back. She's back. A quarrelsome, in other words, nagging wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Verse 16, restraining her, this is what it says, is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. I'm gonna leave it there. Now, now, that's wisdom. Now, now, while the imagery here implies a wife, and it does, right? It does. The concept applies equally to the husband. And all the ladies said, amen. Verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, I love this, so one man sharpens or improves or develops another. The King James says, sharpens the countenance of a friend. Iron can be sharpened, right? Iron can be sharpened by rubbing it with iron. And you rub it with iron, right? It happens with friction and sparks. Rubbing against, this is now rubbing, rubbing against your friend and friends doesn't always feel good because sparks fly, right? Sparks fly. Uh, it gets heated, there, there's friction. But that's a good thing. Say that's a good thing because that's how the sharpening takes place. A best friend is a good, true friend who is there to sharpen you, right? To sharpen you. And I I tell you, if we don't have friends like this who sharpen us, guess what? We will grow dull. We need to find someone in our life, in our life, right, someone or more than one person who loves us enough to sharpen us. And at times it may rub you the wrong way, but it's for your own good. It's to make you sharper, wiser, smarter, more discerning. Amen? And that's what a true friend does. We need to sharpen each other. Again, amen. Verse 18, he who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. In other words, figs were an important source of food in the ancient world. And he says this, and he who looks after his master will be honored. So, what he's saying here? He's saying diligent work and honest service are rewarded. Diligent work, being a hard worker. Say hard worker, right? Honest service are rewarded. Now, I love the fact that Solomon is always talking about us being diligent in our labor, in our work. Amen. So, don't boast or brag. More dangerous than anger. The best friend, number four, is more reflective than a mirror. Say that. More reflective. Then a mirror, verses 19 through 20. He writes, as water reflects the face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Now back in Solomon's day, uh, mirrors were rare. So so water was often used as a mirror. And you can see yourself when the water is still. You can see yourself, you see your reflection. And Solomon's point is, as water shows and reflects your face, what's in your heart shows and reflects and reveals what kind of person you really are. So what he's saying. This is why we need, listen now, friends, this is why you and I, we need to daily fill our hearts with God's Word. And by the Word, listen now, friends, God's Word is a mirror. God's Word is a mirror. It reveals, listen now, who we really are. In fact, when we read it, it reads us. It reveals who we really are. How we're living, what we're doing, what we're thinking, how we're speaking, reveals us. So it's important to be in God's word, amen? Verse 20, death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are the eyes of man. In other words, there's there's no limit to how many people can die. And in the poetic sense, death's appetite is infinite. It doesn't slow down because it becomes... Fool, Solomon. What he's doing here? He uses this comparison to point out the insati- insatiable nature of human greed. In other words, friends, no matter how much we have, we always desire more. That's his point. They they, they say that the difference between a man with six kids and a man with six million dollars is that the man with money wants more. <laughs> right? Some of you already have. You're not even awake today. But, but let's be honest, we always want more. That's human nature, right? So here's a lesson. This has been a reoccurring lesson in Proverbs. It's be content. Be content, right? And Paul talked about learning the secret of being content in his circumstances. And he was writing to the Philippians who had just sent him a financial gift to help him in his ministry. And in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, I'm going to read it to you. He wrote this I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned, I love this, learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Love that. I have learned the secret, say secret, of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do, and he says this, I can do all, because this is in context, I can do all this through Christ who gives me the strength. Amen? Contentment, friends, comes when we learn to be okay with what we have. And the problem is, we usually want what? A little more. Just a little more. A little more. If you're safe, say amen. We need to fix and we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because he's the only one, it's the only one who can completely satisfy, satisfy our lives. Really, he is. He is. Set him right, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Fix your eyes on Jesus, man. He satisfies the soul. He satisfies the heart. He satisfies the life. Amen. Be content. Verses 21 and 22. The crucible, in other words, a refining pot for silver and the furnace for gold. But man is what? Tested by the praise he receives. This is pretty interesting here. So he's saying that intense heat tests the quality of gold and silver, right? We know that refiners melt these metals to reveal the impurities, the dross, right? The dross, which can be removed. And so Solomon applies this idea, I love this, of testing testing to praise, using it to measure a man. In other words, it shows what he's really like. If he gloats over it, he shows himself to be arrogant. But if he accepts the praise modestly, he shows himself to be humble. Got it? Listen, praise, compliments are like perfume and cologne. It's okay to take a whiff, just don't swallow it. Amen? Verse 22. Though you grind a fool in a mortar, grinding him like grain with a pestle, you will not remove his folly from him. Solomon's saying you, you could put a fool in a mortar, and pestle and grind him up, but he's still going to be a fool. Got it? It's hard to get foolishness, he's saying foolishness, out of a hardened kind of fool. Listen, the only one who can change the fool, who is it? It's Jesus. Listen, this idea of trying to improve people without spiritual regeneration is foolish. People need Jesus to change. You you can't change on your own. Jesus said, you must be what? Born again. You must be born again. He didn't say, here's a nice option or here's a nice suggestion or a nice thought. No. He said, you must be born again. And I want to tell you, friends, Jesus didn't come and die to make bad people good or to make good people better. He came to make dead people alive. Alive. Because we're dead in our sins. And you see, society can put a new coat on a man, but only Jesus can put a new man in that coat. Only Jesus can change somebody. Amen? Don't boast or brag, more dangerous than anger, the best friend, more reflective than a mirror. And number five, I love this one, is diligent stewardship. Say that. Diligent stewardship. And let's read verses 20. 3 to 27. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. The King James renders it like this Be thou diligent to know the state of your flocks and look well to thy herds. Verse 24. For riches do not endure forever. Did you get that? For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. In other words, be diligent, say diligent and vigilant because you can lose everything. You can. Verse 25, when the hay is removed and your growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs. Verse 26, the lambs will provide you with what? Clothing. And the goats with the price of a field. Verse 27, you will have what? Plenty of goats' milk to feed your family and to nourish your servant girls. This is saying, this passage is saying, if you're diligent, if you're hardworking, if you're wise, if you're vigilant, if you give attention to and know well the state of your wealth and your business, if you're a good steward of what you have, you will have more than enough to meet all of your needs and your family's needs. That's what he's saying. It's not just going to be a blessing to you but a blessing to those around you. Isn't that awesome? And you see, friends, this passage, these these last verses of this chapter of Proverbs, this passage is meant to teach us the important principle of diligent stewardship with respect to the basic things of life. We should work hard. We should be diligent to know the state of whatever God has given us management over. Listen, if we don't know the condition of something, we can't effectively manage or lead it. True? If you're safe, say amen. We, what Solomon's saying is this, we need to take care of what we have, maintain what we have, be good, diligent stewards of what God has given us. And if we do that, if we do that, God will bless us. If we do that, God will take care of us. Can I get an amen? But this passage, and I want you to follow me here, is also a principle that is true in our spiritual lives. You guys with me? It's a call to give ongoing, follow me now, persistent, diligent attention to the basic provisions God has made for our spiritual lives. Huh? Huh? We must give diligent attention to our spiritual maturity and growth in our walk with God. We need, and we're saved, we need to cultivate and maintain a daily walk in fellowship with God. Now if you're saved, say amen. Listen, friends, are we getting to know God better? I want you to think about this. Are we getting to know God better? Are we growing to love Him more? Is he our first love in life? I mean, think about it. Is he? Is he our first love in life? What about, follow me here now, what about the provision he has made through his written word? Do we, do we read his word daily? Think about it. Do, do we really do that? Do we read his word daily? Do we put in the necessary work that it takes to understand what the scriptures are saying? Do we ask him to help us understand what his word is calling you and I to do? Huh? Do we seek daily to apply and obey and obey his instructions in his word? Not just knowing it, but obeying it. What about, what about the provision he has made through prayer? Huh? Do we spend quality time with him, tell Him how much we love him? And how blessed we are by him, thanking him and talking to him and pouring our hearts out to him. Lord, this is what I'm going through. I love you, Father. Help me, give me strength. What about the provision he has made for the forgiveness of our daily sins? Do we acknowledge our sins to him and confess them to him? Follow me here now. Do we we renew our trust? I love this. Do you and I renew our trust in the cross of Jesus as the payment for our sins? Do we seek his help continually to turn away from our sinful habits? Do we seek to live a fully devoted, listen now, life before him? And I want you to get this. Being a devoted follower before him is the same everywhere that you and I are. At home, at church, at school, at work, with friends, friends on social media, in private. What about the provision he has made for us through the body of Christ? Huh? Do we give ourselves, listen church, listen those online, do we give ourselves wholeheartedly and consistently to meet on Sundays? prioritizing the time of gathering together with other believers, seeking Him and learning from His Word. Do we join in in sincere worship? When I say worship, we're talking about singing and praising and praying and giving of our finances to Him in the body of Christ for the ministry and celebration of communion. Do we put our spiritual gifts to work in serving Him and serving others? Do we draw close enough to our brothers and sisters in Christ to allow ourselves to be accountable to them for growth? Do we join in the effort with them to share His gospel with the lost? Are you guys with me? We you safe? Say amen. If ever there was a, an area of life that demanded diligent stewardship, it would be to the care of my soul and your soul. Are you with me? And no better way to start 2023 by giving diligent attention to the basic provisions God has made for my spiritual life and your spiritual life, for my growth and your growth in Christ. Amen? Diligent stewardship. He's given us things to manage. Are we doing it diligently, passionately, glorifying Him in all that we do? Amen? let all stand.